is war in the spirit. Your God-given, God-guided resource for all things truth and all things kingdom based on the word of God and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Stay tuned for this week's spiritual truth. Hey, spiritual warriors, welcome back to War in the Spirit podcast. This is Faith Coffin Green back for a brand new episode of War in the Spirit. I'm juiced to bring you this episode, so we're going to go ahead and jump in. God has some interesting things to say. You are tuned in for season number seven, episode number four, entitled Eyes of Deception. So as I was preparing for this episode, and as many of you know, if you listen to me a lot, you know that God wakes me in the middle of the night, like I don't even make plans to do a podcast and he'll wake me up and say, hey, I've got something to say. So last night, uh, it was about three or four o'clock in the morning, and I was just kind of reflecting on my journey, my walk with God over the last three years. And um. I was thinking about it and thinking about the fact that it's been not only a journey of discovering self, but also a journey of seeing the truth of who and what was surrounding me. You know, I was just thinking about this and and the people that I've been surrounded by for seemingly my whole life as I begin to embrace more of God's truth and understanding of who he wanted me to be and of his word and of his will for his children, for his church, for the world in general, for my life, I began to realize that many of the people that I have been connected to are not who I thought they were. Many of the things that I had been connected to are not what I thought they were. And God began to show me that afflictions are like blinders. And so as I've gone through my own process of healing, through my own process of God showing me the truth of my identity, of things that he needed me to take off, of things that he He wanted me to let go of, of things that he needed me to heal from, of wounds, of things that went all the way back to my childhood, things that seemingly were minute, that I thought had absolutely no impact on me. He showed me had such a heavy impact, interactions with other people, even people that didn't even have a, I didn't even have a lasting relationship with. And for those of you who haven't heard me talk about healing, um, spiritual healing, mental healing, emotional healing, I would encourage you to go back. I think two seasons, there's an episode entitled Wounds Undressed. And you should definitely go back and listen to that. But see, afflictions are like blinders that lead us to see only what we want to see. That which is convenient for us or that which serves our own personal agenda or that which makes us comfortable. You see, they often allow us to lie to ourselves about the truth of what is actually surrounding us. So let's look at the definition of affliction. 
Affliction is a cause of persistent pain or distress. And I know if you guys can hear that sound in the background again, just like last time, God is speaking as I'm speaking is thundering outside. Um, affliction, great suffering. The state of being afflicted by something that causes suffering. So oftentimes wounds and situations that cause us suffering or pain blind us from seeing the truth of a situation. And what happens oftentimes in our relationships is we connect to each other in our brokenness. We, we connect through similar experiences, similar hurts, similar disappointments, similar heart postures, what I like to call kindred spirits. We often connect to each other through our kindred spirits. So if you have a spirit of a, 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 a bitterness, you can often connect to another person who is going through the same thing. Or if you're being afflicted by a spirit of depression, you can often connect to a person who is going through the same thing. If you're being afflicted by a spirit of addiction, you often connect to a person who's going through the same thing. So we connect in our brokenness. And then when one party starts to get clean, when they start to heal, when they start to embrace the truth, then the blinders are removed. And they begin to see things and people for what and who they really are. And when they take those blinders off, they can no longer connect to those broken places. You see, that's why when people begin to advance and grow and heal and, 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 and uh, uh, face their uh, uh, past and, and deal with it and confront those truths, it's very difficult to connect back to those people from their past if those people are not also going through the same process. See, you can no longer connect to those broken places because you're no longer comfortable in that space, that same space that that person that maybe you were connected to, that that relationship that you started when both of you were in a broken place and then one of you decided, I'm tired of being broken, but the other person hadn't yet decided to chase down the healing, to pursue it. See, you can no longer connect in those broken places because you no longer have that brokenness in common and all of those things that you thought you were compatible with were all a result of your brokenness. They were all a result of your affliction. Then what happens is you begin to drift apart because you don't want the brokenness to weigh you down. Think about addicts. See, they tend to roll together because <clears throat> they're comfortable together because they're, they're all dealing with the same affliction. They're all dealing with the same spirit. They are kindred spirits. They, they tend to roll together because those who don't do drugs will likely begin to question their behavior and hold them accountable. And the same is true for afflictions. You see, as soon as one person begins to heal and get clean and they can see now not only their afflictions, but the afflictions of the other person that they were in that broken relationship with, 
then they begin to say, hey, you know what? This might be something that you want to address. They begin to hold those people accountable. They begin to call those afflictions to light. And many of us can't handle that. Many of us don't want to be seen like that. Many of us don't want to be exposed in that way. So we run or we hide or we separate. It's just like being quarantined together with someone when both of you have the same virus. You're okay with it because you figure, I mean, I can't get infected, more infected. We have the same infection, right? We have the same virus. And isn't it great to have company in that space? But then one person chooses to accept the treatment and gets better, but the other refuses it. And the person that accepted the treatment and is healed no longer wants to be quarantined with the infected person. They're trying harder to keep from going back into that place they came out of, to keep from falling into the same illness again, to the same affliction again. This is how afflictions work. But see, that person who's refusing the treatment, who's refusing the healing, will continue to try and coax the healed person back into that quarantine infected space so they don't have to be alone. See, once you take off that affliction, you begin to make different decisions. You, you, you choose not to expose yourself to the same things. You, you take more precautions in who you surround yourself with so you don't fall back into the same circumstances. And when you take those blinders off and you begin to see the truth, but the people around you are still wearing the blinders, they will begin to tell you you're wrong. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. All because they're still wearing the blinders of affliction and you can see the truth. All because they don't want to be seen. They're now threatened by you and your ability to see the truth of who they are and what is truly driving them. It's not that you don't love those people anymore, but you're choosing what is best for yourself. You're choosing healing. You're choosing wholeness. You're trying to keep yourself clean, healed, and delivered. And there is nothing wrong with that. And that same person or people who you were originally connected to through brokenness will then have to make some decisions. Either they will take the treatment and get healed, or they will have to be in quarantine alone until they decide to make a different choice. Either way, your decision to accept treatment and get clean will push them to look at their situation and contemplate it in a different way than before. Because before, they were comfortable in their affliction because they had company. But now that they are in it alone, it's no longer comfortable. And maybe they will be stretched to change. 
So let's talk about these blinders and, and some forms in which these blinders come so that you can see them coming. You can see the weapons that the enemy is using. You can see how he's trying to come for you and keep you blinded. So you can then take those blinders off. You see, the same way that the enemy uses fear to keep us from believing the truth of God, to keep us afraid, to keep us believing that God is not going to do what he said because it doesn't look like what, it, what he said it's going to look like. The same way that he does that, the enemy uses affliction to deceive us into believing something is a good thing instead of seeing its true nature as though, as through the eyes of God. You see, God doesn't look through the same eyes that we look through. God looks into the heart. And we look at the outer appearance. We, we, we look at what we see. We look at what people say. We look at what people have to make decisions about what we believe is the truth about people or situations. So let's look at 1 Samuel. We're going to look at chapter 16. And I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because I have chosen a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Let's skip down to verse four. It says, so Samuel did what the Lord told him and he came to Bethlehem. Then the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? And he said, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass before Samuel, but he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse had Shammah pass by and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. So Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the boys? And he said, the youngest is still left, but behold, he is tending the sheep. So Samuel said to Jesse, send word and bring him, for we will not take our places at the table until he comes here. So he sent word and brought him in. Now he was reddish with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel set out and went to Ramah. You see, we look at things in a certain way. We look at things, even Samuel, a, a, a prophet of God, a, a, a anointed man of God, looked through his own fleshly eyes, believing that an outward appearance denoted what God was looking for in an anointed king for Israel. And the same way that even Samuel was looking through his own eyes and not the eyes of God is the same way that oftentimes we view things believing that a thing is of God when it's not. These are the eyes of deception. And you know what's so interesting about this particular story with Saul and David is it makes me think about um, the difference between promotion and elevation. You see, Saul was promoted to king. You see, because the people wanted a king. He was the people's king. So the people asked God for a king and God said, okay, I'll oblige. I'll give you a king. But see, this king did not have God's heart. This king was not obedient to God. See, a, a promotion is a change in title. An elevation is a change in the position of the heart, posture, a, a position of a character. It's a level up. You see, David was elevated because God was with him. And at the end of this passage, it says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. See, David was elevated. He was God's king, a man after God's own heart. And too many of us settle for promotion and fall short of true elevation. You see, those blinders deceive us into believing that we have made it because we got a new title, not realizing that that promotion that was given by man can easily be snatched away by God because we stop short of seeking his elevation. And just like Saul, his promotion was snatched away. And the word says, and the spirit of the Lord left him. So see, we have to be careful about putting on the blinders of promotion instead of seeing the truth of elevation. You see, because promotion is often born out of affliction, the need to be seen, the need to be uh, validated, the need to be famous, the need for likes and the need for uh, influence and power and stuff. Elevation is born of a true heart for God, of a true desire to work in tandem with God's will. 
So are you looking through the eyes of deception? Or are you looking through the eyes of truth? Let's look at another example. This is one of my favorites. We're going to look at Acts 22. And it talks about not to be uh, confused with King Saul. This is Saul who later became Paul the Apostle. And it's interesting because there's two accounts of what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. There's one in Acts 9 where it's a third party account. And then there's Acts 22 where he gives his own account. So we're going to start. This is Acts chapter 22. I'm going to start at verse 1. And it says, brothers and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brothers and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus, at about noon, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus. And there you will be told about everything that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I came into Dam Damascus being led by the hand by those who were with me. Now a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there came to me and standing nearby, he said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I looked up at him and he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a message from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. 
And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing nearby and approving and watching over the cloaks of those who were killing him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You know what the beauty of this story is? (laughs) And this is something that I never really paid attention to before, but in Saul's account, he says, I am a Jew. I was born a Jew. So he was born a Jew, right? Jesus is the king of the Jews. So not only did Saul was blinded from seeing his true identity and embracing it because he was already a Jew, he rejected the identity that God had for him. See, God had already tapped him. He had already anointed him to do a thing. And he did one of the most heinous things that you could possibly do. He had people put to death simply, simply for believing in Jesus Christ. He persecuted them and yet God redeemed him. You see, Saul is the ultimate, he is the ultimate example of the eyes of deception. You see, he was born into an identity, but deception caused him to reject that identity. And what had to happen? God sent his light, a blinding light. He blinded him only so he could give him new eyes, eyes to see the truth, eyes to be redeemed. And then after all of that, he says, hey, the people are not going to receive your testimony here. Go, I will send you far away. And then after all of that, God still says, I am going to protect you. Even after you've persecuted me, even after you've persecuted my people, I'm still going to choose you. I'm still going to give you new sight. I'm still going to redeem you and I am still going to protect you. And that is what he desires to do for you too. You see, you're not too far gone to take off those blinders. You're not too far gone to get healed of your affliction. You're not too far gone to see the truth. See, just like Saul, God has allowed many people to stay in the position that they've been in for so long, persecuting him, out of alignment with his will, just so he could clean you up in front of the people, just like he did Saul, just so he could send you to minister to those very people that you were leading to destruction. You see, Saul wasn't called to the church. He was called to the Gentiles, to the world. Why? Because he came out of the world. And who best to minister to someone Then someone who did the same things that those people did. Then someone who's been delivered from those same afflictions. 
Now, let's talk about the eyes of deception through ambition. We're going to look at Acts chapter 8. This is verses 9 through 24. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll start at verse 9. It says, Now a man named Simon had previously been practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all the people from small to great were paying attention to him, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they were paying attention to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were being baptized. Now, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was repeatedly amazed. Okay, I'm going to pause right there just for a second because I want to look at this real quick. You see, you have this Simon who's been practicing magic. And so the people are looking at, at, at the magic that he's been practicing and saying, oh, this must be the power of God. Then what happens? A contrast comes along. Then Philip comes and he begins to preach the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And what happens? Men and women are being baptized. See, there's one thing to have power and be able to do amazing things. And there's another thing to have fruit. You see, power without fruit is false. Power is tainted fruit. It means it's not from God. That means if you have power, if you have influence, but people's lives, their minds, their hearts are not being transformed, if they're not being drawn into God as a result of what you are doing and what you are saying, then you ain't operating under the power of God. You see, Philip, what Philip was doing and what the apostles were doing and what Simon was doing on the surface may have looked the same, may have looked like great power. However, God tests the heart and only God can move the hearts of the people. So if what you are doing looks like great power, but the hearts of the people are not being moved, it ain't God. Now, let's go down to verse 14. It says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could acquire the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart will be 
forgiven. You see, <laughs> Simon was wearing the eyes of deception. And in fact, the people were wearing the eyes of deception. You see, the people believed that just because they saw power, it was God. But that was not the truth. And Simon believed that just because he had some money, he could gain access to the anointing, the same anointing, the same power that the apostles operated in. Those blinders are a trip, aren't they? You see, God is the one thing that cannot and will not be bought. The one thing that no matter how much money, power, influence, fame, or respect you have from the people of this world, with God, if your heart ain't right, none of that matters. He doesn't care how many figures you have in your bank account, how many followers you have on social media, how many degrees, even how many aspirations you have. He cares about your heart. And as well-intentioned as your ambition may be, it could be the one thing blinding you from actually seeing God's hand move in your life. You see, ambition is an affliction too. One of the most blinding afflictions of all because it can be born out of so many other afflictions. It can be born from bitterness, from spite, from, from resentment, from envy, from jealousy, from covetous behavior, all of those can bear ambition. You see, because oftentimes what happens is we, we decide we're going to do a thing and we set our goals based on what people told us we can't do or what we saw somebody else have. But see, here's the thing. That ambition is born out of an affliction. That ambition is born out of envy. That ambition is born out of spite. You see, you're trying to achieve something to spite someone else in what they said you can't do. That ain't of God. Your heart for that thing that you're seeking, that you're building is not pure. The eyes of deception. <laughs> you see, and, and let's look at the definition of ambition real quick. It says a strong desire to do or achieve something typically requiring determination and hard work. Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 20 this is verses 20 through 28 it says then the mother of the sons of zebedee came to jesus with her sons bowing down and making a request of him and he said to her what do you desire she said to him say that in your kingdom these two sons of mine shall sit one at your right and one at your left but jesus replied you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit at my right and at my left is not mine to give. 
but it is for those for whom it has been prepared for my father. After hearing this, the other 10 disciples became indignant with the two brothers, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them and those in high position exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see that blind ambition is often a selfish ambition. It's often a self-seeking behavior. It's often a self-gratification. It's not of God. That ambition comes through the eyes of deception. And you know what's so crazy about that? Is all of those linked to your chain of ambition. See, because what happens is your ambition breeds the ambition of other people. So when you rise and people see what you've got, then more ambition, blind ambition, born out of envy or jealousy or resentment or spite or bitterness is now poured into the people that are watching you rise through that ambition, through that affliction. And now you create a chain of brokenness, a chain of blind ambition. But for all of those who link to your chain of ambition, you can create a bridge to salvation. See, no one is too far gone for God. It's all about deciding to pivot and make a change in your life for him. The question is, will you answer the call? Or will you continue to persecute him the way and lead the people to destruction? See, ambition is one of the most dangerous afflictions of all because the world, the enemy will tell you that it's great to be ambitious. He will twist the word of God to convince you that it means you're doing something with your talents, that you're not burying them because faith without works is dead, right? So many people believe this lie that ambition is the fulfillment of purpose. And that's just not the truth. That's perspective from the eyes of deception. You see, just like, I'm not gonna read all of this, but just like in Matthew 25, we, we see the, uh, 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 the servants with the talents and we see one who has uh, five talents and we see another who has two talents and we see another who has one talent and, and, and you have two good stewards who take their talents and they grow them. And then you have one who buries the talent and it says, I'm going to read uh, verse 19. This is uh, Matthew 25, verse 19. It says, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me two talents to me. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Now, the one who had received the one talent also came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid, so I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you still have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you worthless, lazy slave. Did you know that I reap where I do not sow? and gather where I did not scatter seed, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has more shall be given. For everyone who has more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, many of us have convinced ourselves that because we are ambitious, that because we are successful, it's a great thing. But see, the enemy will take and twist the word of God to convince you that it means that you're doing something with your talents and not burying them. However, the truth is that anything that you do with your talent that does not align with what God has ordained for you to do is you burying that talent. You see, we have convinced ourselves that just because we have taken a God-given talent and found some success with it, that God must be okay with what we are doing. And let me help you. Any talent that you've got, that you are using for ambition, for success, for promotion, it came from God. The talent came from God. He placed it in you when he created you, even before he formed you in the womb. That talent was there. It's a part of your identity. And whether you choose to acknowledge God or not, whether you choose to believe in God or not, that doesn't matter. It doesn't change the truth of the fact that that talent that you are using that you are looking at through the eyes of deception came from God. <laughs> but see, too many of us are lying to ourselves about all of that. See, because if you take a moment and take inventory of yourself and your heart behind that thing, think about what actually motivated you to do what you're doing right now. Was it money? Was it fame? Was it notoriety? Was it validation? Was it perception? 
Did you do it to prove something to other people? Did you do it for fear of being in lack or fear of being passed up by those around you? What was that success and ambition born from? What have you truly been chasing? You see, there's a difference between success and victory. See, success is defined as the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. Uh, the attainment of fame, wealth, or social status. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting, one of the uh, definitions of success is the good or bad outcome of an undertaking. You see, when I think about that definition, it makes me think about succession. See, because you can have a, a good beginning and it turns into a bad outcome because something is its successor. And when you operate through the eyes of deception, your success can become a bad outcome. However, victory is defined as an act of defeating an enemy or opponent in a battle, game, or other competition. You see, success is fleeting, but victory is finite. It is a result of a defeat of an enemy, of the enemy. Victory is lasting. <laughs> More often than not, many of us will find that we haven't actually been chasing God and what he has for our lives and what he ordained for us to do with those talents, we've been chasing some sort of self gratification. See, when you think about the thing that you have built, think about who is getting the most glory from that thing. See, because we convince ourselves that just because we mention God or we thank him for it, then he is getting the glory. But the truth is, every day, when people look at the thing you built, do they first associate it with you or do they first associate it with God? When they talk about it, do they say, man, God is really at the forefront of this thing? Or do they say, man, he or she has really blown up? Is the thing you're building bringing people closer to God or closer to the world? Are you creating a perpetual chain of broken ambition for the people following you or an unbreakable bridge for them to reach God? See, because if what you have built was born out of blind ambition, out of success, out of promotion, then all the people who connect to it will long for what you have also through blind ambition. And at this point, you're leading people to the slaughter feeding them right into the hands of the enemy and away from the one true God. You see, if when people talk about that thing that you're building every day, they don't mention God, if that thing doesn't look bigger than you and they say, oh my God, look at what God did through that person's life, then it's probably a thing born out of ambition and not out of true seeking and desire for God. It's probably a thing born from the eyes of deception and not from the eyes of truth.
See, those eyes of deception are tricky. They will play on your fears, on your shortcomings, on your hurts, on your wounds, and all to make you believe that what you are building is to the glory of God and not to yourself. So are you looking through the deception? So are you looking through the deceptive eyes of promotion or seeking true elevation? Are you wearing the blinders of success or in pursuit of a victory? You see, just like when when we talked about those uh, addicts and and just like when you when people go to AA, right? Alcoholics Anonymous. They choose a sponsor that's been someone that came through and got delivered from that same situation. See, are you a sponsor to help people get clean and come back to God? Or are you a spreader? Spreading more of that affliction more of that deception to the people? Are you one to lead people to healing or one to lead them to their destruction? Only you and God know. But trust me, if you're using the eyes of deception to look into your world and to make decisions about how to govern your life, at some point you're going to look up and find yourself in a very unsettling truth. The truth of what you thought you were building. The truth of the true posture of your heart. The truth of how the enemy took over your life and led you into the place of spiritual, mental, and emotional destruction and bondage. Eventually, you're going to look up and realize that you have a bunch of stuff, material things, money in the bank, likes, follows, but none of that can soothe the torment inside. See, you'll realize that you have nothing of true value to show for it. That, that, that you kept looking through the blinders of success, ambition, and promotion, and you never found true peace, joy, love, acceptance, or identity. All because... You refuse to take off those blinders to see God's truth about who you are and who he desires for you to be. Stop looking through the eyes of deception. Take off the blinders. See and embrace the truth. That is the word that God gave for me to pass on to you. I pray that you receive it, that you are convicted heavily by it. I believe that this word is going to be, bring true transformation to the lives of the people that hear it. That's going to give you a completely different perspective and an outlook on your life, on your relationship with God and on what your purpose and your identity are. So seek him for it. Don't take my word for it. Take it back to God and let him show you. If you feel led to sow into this ministry, you may do so at 
Cash App, dollar sign, War in the Spirit, or Venmo at War in the Spirit 12. If you need help, if you need prayer, if you need guidance, if you need insight, if you need understanding, if you want me to help you point in the right direction, you can reach out to me at warinthespirit12 at gmail.com. And as I always tell you guys, put some sort of seed in the ground. Because if you don't put anything in the ground, there will be nothing to grow. And just like I always say, a seed is not just money. A seed is a seed of obedience. It's a seed of change. It's a seed of transformation. It can be a seed of surrender. It can be a seed of sacrifice. Whatever that looks like, let God show you. But put something in the ground. And let me help you. You don't have to change your whole life today. Today, make one decision. Just one decision to do something different. Just one decision for God today. You can transform your life one decision at a time. Just change one thing today. And God will honor that decision that you made for him. And then you'll make another decision. And God will honor that decision that you made for him. And eventually you'll look at, you'll look up. And you will be completely transformed. Just one decision at a time. Take off the blinders. I love you. Have a wonderful and blessed week. I pray that you begin to see the transformation of God in your life because you've decided to do something different.